Well, open your Bibles to the book of Malachi. Malachi chapter 3, and we're going to continue through another portion of chapter 3. And this is, uh, believe it or not, we're, uh, we'll finish up our series through Malachi um, next week. So the last Sunday in July, we're going to finish that up. And then uh, the whole month of August, we're going to be starting a new series on uh, authentic community. What does it look like to biblically live in authentic community together? All right? So I'd challenge you and encourage you to uh, be praying towards that, preparing yourself for that. And um, how, many of you, how many of you have been really challenged by the book of Malachi through this series? I, I, I have been extremely burdened um, by the weightiness of this text. And... Uh, to be perfectly honest with you, this morning is uh, no exception to that. In fact, uh, the, the message focus of today, just simply the focus is one that often uh, people close their, their ears to, that they say as soon as this gets brought up in a church setting, uh, they don't want to hear it, they don't want to talk about it. And uh, so I want to encourage you today to kind of set aside any preconceived ideas you might have regarding what this text is saying and allow God to speak through that. And uh, when we come to Scripture here every Sunday, uh, my prayer throughout the entire week is that you're not going to hear my opinion, you're going to hear what God's Word says, okay? And that's most important to me. And so as I wrestle with these things, as I'm challenged by what Scripture says in regards to much of this, I want you to know that um, I am having full trust and confidence that His Spirit is the one doing the work, and his, He is the one who's doing the teaching to us through His Word. And so let's look at that specifically together. Um, but, but realistically, how many of you love, absolutely love, you just get giddy with excitement when you come to church on Sunday and hear the pastor start to talk about giving? There's like two hands. I am so excited because that's two more hands than I thought I would get. Okay. But the reality is, if we really step back and think about this, we, we struggle with this. And, and when you step back and think about our broader culture, we struggle to have anyone stand up and tell us what we should be doing with our stuff. And that's one of the reasons I've wrestled with this so much is because I've talked with so many people who have alienated themselves completely from the church because of this very matter. And to be fair, there are churches all over the place who abuse this very thing. And we see that fleshed out and lived out, okay? We, we see that very clearly. I don't see that happening here, all right? I want to preface it by that. But this is so important, church, because this is, says a lot. How we interpret these sections of Scripture says a lot about where we are at in our walk of faith and where we have yet more to grow. And so what I'm going to do this morning just to give you a little insight, is I'm going to read through this section of Malachi chapter 3, and then I'm just going to give you a real quick outline of what we can understand based in Malachi chapter 3. And then we're going to, we're going to look at some historical information regarding why is this even an issue. 
to, to try and bring, you, bring us all up to speed on why is this important? Why should I care? All right? Everyone say, why should I care? Okay, we're going we're gonna to hopefully answer that question today. So Malachi chapter 3, I'm going to start in verse 6, and I'm going to read through verse 12 today. For I, the Lord, do not change. I want us to think about that for a minute. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Excuse me. This is a challenging text, isn't it? And yet God is sovereign in the midst of starting out with this reminder that he does not change. Everyone say he doesn't change. And we need to hold fast to that truth. And instead, what was taking place was that the nation of Israel was profaning their relationship with God, but God's saying, my covenant with you is remaining the same. It's remaining consistent. Now, to outline this a little better, as we see observations about tithing in Malachi chapter 3. The first thing, in verses 8 and 9, we see is that failure to tithe was robbing God. Failure to tithe was robbing God. Okay? And we see that, look at verse 8, it says, Will man rob God? Yet you say, (coughs) How have we robbed you? In your tithes... And contributions. <coughs> Man. Excuse me. <clears throat> now understand this also. That in the midst of this. Right, right before this is said. The people have no idea. What they're doing wrong. When God says return to me. And I will return to you. They say how shall we return. This is their way of saying. God I don't understand what we've done wrong. I don't understand what, what we've done. In the midst of this. How. How is that anything that I need to change? And how, how many of you at some point or another 
have heard a piece of scripture or you've been challenged to say, man, we need to turn and become more like Christ. And you go, I don't really know what I need to do differently. I, I've been there. Okay. All right. In essence, the people have become hard to even recognizing where they've fallen short. And God's pointing out simply one aspect of a lot of different things that focus in on a bigger issue. <clears throat> now, the second thing we see here in the midst of Malachi 3 is that failure to tithe brought about curse amongst the people. Verses 9 and 11 state that. Verse 9, you are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Verse 11, <coughs> I will rebuke the devourer so that you will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. I am so sorry. Man. Yes. I would love a cough drop. Thank you. If you're visiting us, this happens more than you think. It's kind of weird. This happened once before and I couldn't hardly talk. God bless you for those of you who carry cough drops. Man. I should probably get in the habit of doing that. As many times as this has happened, you'd think I would learn by now. Apparently I haven't. All right. We're good to go now. <clears throat> Failure to tithe brought about a curse amongst the people. Now, how many of you realistically would want that to be you? If All right. Better question. How many of you, if you knew a curse had been brought about on you and your family, would want to know what was causing it? Okay. Every one of us would. Every single one of us would go, yes. I would want to know what's causing this, and I would seek to fix it. At least that's what you would think. And yet in the midst of this, we're just like the Israelites, that we say that, and yet we become hard. We become hard to the reality of what's causing the curse, and we go, no, it's not. No, it's not. This isn't what's happening here, but that's what is identified. Third thing in this is that, Verses 10 and 12 tell us that obedience in tithing brought about abundant blessing. Verse 10, God is asking, he's, he's calling to bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Verse 12 says, then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord. Now, just to clarify, who is the book of Malachi being written to? Those of you who have been here, who is it being written to? Israel. Everyone say Israel. Okay, this is important. God is making these commands. Do not look at this text and interpret it as if God is saying it directly to you. This audience that is receiving this right now according to the biblical account, is the nation of Israel. That's why he says, therefore, he says, O children of Jacob, in verse 6, the children of Jacob, Jacob was renamed Israel in the Old Testament, okay? And so when you think of the nation of Israel, you think of the twelve sons of Jacob, the twelve tribes of Israel. And so God is speaking these truths to Israel, now, the reality is, though, when it comes to the concept behind this, it's applicable across the board. 
And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into more detail regarding that. But one thing I want to challenge you with in this is that when we're thinking about tithing or giving, and it becomes more about money than it does the condition of my heart, we miss the point. When we're thinking about tithing or we're thinking about giving, we're having these conversations and it becomes more about money than it does about the condition of my heart, we've missed the point. That was the issue the Pharisees dealt with. And what the main thing I want you to walk away from with today, if you get nothing else out of today, I want you to understand this. And that is how I give says a lot about who's my God. How I give says a lot about who's my God. And we're going to unpack this even further. But I want you to consider that phrase. Now, as we think about that, the first thing I want to highlight in the midst of kind of the confusion and the own personal opinions that come in the midst of this discussion is that giving slash generosity is not optional for the follower of Christ. Okay? And to reinforce that, I'm going to show you, I went ahead and put this scripture up here because it's a foundational truth in the New Testament. And this scripture is from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And uh, we see a different attitude given towards this idea of giving. 2 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 6, says the point is this, whoever sows sparingly, will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give. Notice it says must give, okay? It's not if you give, this applies. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a what? A cheerful giver. Now, If we're really honest with ourselves, and again, I include myself in this, we struggle with that. We struggle to give with joy a lot of times. Now, some of you are gifted in this area, and you love to give, and you get so much joy out of that. And others of us, we kind of make the excuse and go, well, giving's not really my spiritual gift, and so you know what, I'm I'm kind of off the hook. And yet, this passage, Paul didn't say, those of you who are gifted givers need to be cheerful. He didn't say, the few of you that do give need to be cheerful givers. He says, each one must give as he has decided in his own heart. Not under compulsion. In other words, if you go away from this message and you're like, man, Pastor Matt, he's he's really trying to rake in the cash. You know, I just, I, I can't believe that. He's, he's compelling me to, to give. No. The reality should be, you should have a desire and a longing to give because of what Christ has already given you. And if we approach it from that angle, then all of a sudden our attitude shifts and we go, oh, I could give cheerfully because God has given to me so richly. And I realize that even if I'm in a, tight place or struggling, God has still given me everything that I need. That's why the Apostle Paul said that I've learned to live with plenty and live with little. I'm I'm content. And man, we struggle with that. 
of what I've been given, okay? If I'm a follower of Jesus, I should just desire to give. It should be a longing within my heart. And if not, then I need to ask the question, who is my God? Who really is my God, okay? How I give says a lot about who's my God. Now, just for those of you who may think this whole idea of giving is only a New Testament thing, or it's only happened, started in the law, if we go all the way back to Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4, these were the, the sons of Adam and Eve, okay? And the very thing that caused conflict bef- between them was that they were bringing offerings to God. And you go forward a little more, you go on to uh, later on in Genesis, and you have this uh, instance where even Abraham brings a gift to Melchizedek. There's a name for you. And offers him 10% of the spoils that were taken in a battle that took place. And so this is all, that all transpired before the law was even in place. And yet then you see this principle implemented in the Old Testament law that dictates what that giving should look like amongst the culture of Israel under the law. Everyone say the law. Okay. Now, here's something interesting. A tithe, the word tithe literally means tenth. In other words, it is impossible for someone to tithe less than 10%. Just so that we get our statements and language clear. When we hear the word tithe, you think tenth, okay? It's not some made-up term that the church says, oh, a tithe is 10%. It's literally what the word means in the Hebrew language. And so someone can't come and say, well, I'm going to tithe 5% this month. No, that, that, that doesn't make any sense, okay? You, get, you could give less than 10%, but tithing literally only has to be 10% because that's what it means. Okay? And God mandated this in the Old Testament law, but how many of you have grown up thinking that the tithe combined really only amounted to 10% total? Raise your hands. Don't be shy of this. How many of you think is 10% that was it? Okay? Well, we'll see. There were... Can anyone tell me how many, how many tithes there actually were from the Old Testament law? Anyone know? Three. There were three tithes. And here's what they were. They're going to be on the screen for you. The first one was the Levite tithe in Numbers 18. This was a tithe that God mandated to care for the needs of the Levites, which were the priestly order within the nation of Israel. In other words, these guys spent their days in the temple carrying out what needed to be done as far as sacrifices, as far as keeping the law, keeping everything done, maintaining the temple. And God said, you need to bring 10% of what you have gathered in your fields and you need to bring it to the storehouse for the Levites so that they can live because they're not working other jobs. They're not working in the fields. They're not doing these other things. So you need to bring 10% to take care of their needs. The Levites would then take 10% of that 10% and give it to the priests. Okay? That was the first, the first tithe. The second tithe was the festival tithe. This was the tithe that helped provide for their meals that they would have when they gathered together for the annual festivals they had every year. 
And you can see that in Deuteronomy 14, 22 through 27. How do we know these two are different? Well, in the first one, if you're reading Numbers 18, it was only for the Levites to eat. In the second one, it specifically states in Deuteronomy that the people would then come and enjoy that together, that they literally got to partake in that so we can recognize this is different than the first one was. Okay? The third one was what was known as the poor tithe. And this tithe was collected every three years and was specifically for meeting the needs of the poor or needy. And now, if you really go to the work of totaling those up, if we look at an Old Testament tithe, if that's what we say, you know what, I'm convicted that that's what I need to hold to, that the the order, the way God established that in the law is how it's supposed to be, it's really more like 23%. Okay? If you add all those up over a year's time and divide the third one by three years, okay? Now, I state all that just so that we have clarity. Everyone say clarity. Clarity on what the Bible mandated for the nation of Israel under the law. This was God's instruction to his people. This was the command that the people were not following after in the book of Malachi. And so God was saying, you've robbed me. I've mandated this for you as a nation. This is the law I've established in place. And and you are taking away from what what I've called you to do. The reality was, for the nation of Israel in Malachi, how they gave brought clarity to who their God was. How they gave brought clarity to who their God was. Okay? Now, the cool thing is, all right, is in Christ, we have freedom. Everyone say freedom. Freedom from the law. In other words, we are not held to the accountability simply by the law, the standards of the law, okay? There's a new covenant, a new promise in Christ that all who believe in the name of Jesus to be saved have eternal life. That we're counted righteous, not because of anything we've done, but because of everything that Christ already did. That's the new promise, the new covenant. And so we have to ask the question then, How does this idea of giving and tithing and all of this apply to us today? And so I've got three passages of Scripture, and I'm going to have people read these because I like having you do things. The first one I'm going to have someone read is Matthew chapter 6, 19 through 24. Matthew chapter 6, 19 through 24. This is Jesus himself talking. Okay, Who wants to, uh, who's going to read this? Someone read this? Just stick up your hand. Okay. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye of the lamp, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, 
or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Okay. This passage is pretty clear in the sense that, whoa, am I storing up for myself treasures here on earth or treasures in heaven? Now, if I recognize that my greatest inheritance, the greatest blessing that I'm going to receive is an eternal one, all of a sudden it should change my whole perspective on this whole giving thing because, wow, none of this stuff here on earth is going to last. It's all transient. But the stuff in which I invest in eternally, that's going to have profound impact long term. Okay? And not just that, but this whole concept where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. How you give says a lot about who's your God. It says a lot about where your heart is when it comes to my stuff, my things, my possessions. That's a biblical principle we see throughout. Okay? Now in the next passage, Mark chapter 12, 41 through 44. Mark chapter 12, 41 through 44. Who wants to read that? Oh, I love that sound. Pages of Scripture. You want to read it? All right. Mark 12, 41 through 44. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which made a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, and she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, and she had to live on. Now, you want a convicting challenge the story of the widow giving everything she had is one of faith, is one of generosity, and is also a lesson for those who have a tendency or the temptation to get puffed up with pride about how much they can give or what that looks like. And so there's a humility in the midst of that. There's a humility that comes because I recognize, again, who my God is. And it causes me to humble myself and go, oh, I don't deserve any of this. I don't deserve any of this. And in light of what Jesus said in Matthew 6, I'm I'm not going to take any of it with me either. And so, God, this is yours anyway. This is yours to do with what you desire to do with it. Let me be your steward. Let me be faithful in a way that I'm humble in the midst of this. Okay? The third and last one I want us to read is going back to 2 Corinthians 9. Okay, 2 Corinthians 9. And we're going to read 6 through 15. I only read 6 and 7 earlier. We're going to read 6 through 15. Second Corinthians 9. 6 through 15. 
The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion for God, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiently in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work as it is written. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for, for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your con- contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Amen. Now that passage goes on further from what we talked about of being a cheerful giver. <clears throat> and you notice a correlation there between what he said in Malachi and the promise to Israel that I will multiply. Put me to the test. See if I will not bless and abound to where there's no more need. How often do we have that same confidence before God when it comes to our own needs? Now, that's an easy thing for us to say when things are going good. When things are alright. And yet, when things take a turn and things are really tight and we're really struggling, this becomes harder to live out. This becomes challenging. And yet, understanding that how I give says a lot about who's my God Where are my eyes fixed? Where is my faith put? Is it put into the number that's in my bank account? Is it put into the number that's on my check? Is it put in fill in the blank? Or is my faith, is my trust in the one who has an abundance and is promised to provide for every one of our needs? Now, when we think about applying this, we tend to swing to one extreme or the other, church. Either we're super legalistic about this, so much so that if someone doesn't tithe, we condemn them, just like the Pharisees are doing. Or we swing so far the other way that we say, eh, I'm just not going to give it all. And biblically, as we understand this, both are wrong. If I am a follower of Christ, giving, being generous, is not an option. It's not an option for me. And yet, in the midst of that, being legalistic about how that's intended to be, so much so that I am con- I'm condemning other people, that's just, just as wrong. And so what I want to kind of challenge you with this morning, as in application of these things, is to give you three reasons why 
I believe that tithing, giving 10%, is a great baseline for us to aim for. Okay? And understand that this is not something that's mandated by the law in the New Testament. Okay? Giving is something that should be a part of our life. But understanding more specifically that if I should be giving, if I should be generous in this, what should that look like? Here's a reason why I believe 10% is a great baseline for us to aim for and start at. Okay? One, it keeps me accountable to generosity. Keeps me accountable so that I know, hey, I am just going to be intentional and self-disciplined to set this aside and give this away because I recognize this is not mine to begin with, so I'm going to be faithful to do that. Keeps me accountable to it. Secondly, it reveals my heart to see the ministry of the local church continue. Now, that's specifically in reference to giving to the, to the local church. Okay, And again, my intent in preaching this message is not to somehow compel you or force you into giving. Please, do not interpret my words this morning as such. I would be so burdened if that was the case. Rather, if we truly value the ministry of the local church, then that should be something we say, this is where my kids are getting discipled. This is where my family is getting fed. This is where we're doing ministry and we're seeing people come to faith in Christ. If that's what's taking place and you go, you know what? I am feeding off of this and I'm growing and being changed and I don't want that ministry to stop. That's a good reason to say, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give. I'm going to invest. I'm going to be a part of this. I'm going to be a part of what's taking place. And thirdly, it communicates my faith in God's promised provision over my life and my needs. When I could just say, you know, I'm going to do this, 10%, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm, I'm saying, God, this may be a struggle, a challenge for me. This may be new to me. And I'm, go- I'm going to trust you. You're going to have to show up in a big way here, God. And while I don't believe that the curse is the same because we are freed from the law if we don't do this, I do believe that when we choose not to give, we miss out on a blessing that can only come when our faith is fully rooted in God. Both spiritually and physically, church. And so as we get ready to close today, I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. And I want to challenge you with this simple question in the midst of this, okay? What does how you give say about who's your God? What does how you give say about who's your God? And maybe it's an area where you feel like this is, this is going well. We, we, we have self-disciplined ourselves in this area to where God has shown His faithfulness and we have been able to see the fruit of that and, and this is an amazing, amazing thing that, that's part of our life. Or maybe some of you are going, man, I've heard this before. I've struggled with this. I've wrestled with this. But I've just never taken a step of faith to say, God, I'm, I'm going to give back to you. I'm, I'm going to commit to that. And I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to prayerfully pray that you, you, you grow my faith in the midst of this. 
And some of you may just still be wrestling with this and challenged with this. And if that's you, that's okay, all right? But don't wrestle with those things in silence. If, you, if you're struggling with this, talk to people about it. That's why we live in community with each other. That's why we need each other. Dialogue about these things. Challenge each other with these things. And let's pursue a life that allows us to become more like Jesus, to become more generous, more giving, more on fire and focused on what God is doing and less about me and my own personal agenda. Right? Heavenly Father, as we prepare to close with this song and think about you over everything that we see, everything that we have, everything that we do, Lord, I pray that you would challenge us and convict us of how this applies and works into our own life, Lord, that we would... Uh, Be challenged by this idea of how I give says a lot about where my faith is. It says a lot about who my God is. And maybe there's other gods in my life that I need to set aside. Lord, bring that to the forefront of my mind. Help me to understand and see that clearly. And Lord, I pray too for our our church as a whole, Lord, that you would help us to be good stewards. I pray... For our, for our finance team, I pray for those who work in handling this, that we would be wise with how we, how we use that, those funds, how we go about that, Lord, that you would humble us, challenge us in that. May we ever be pursuing excellence in that area to your praise and glory above all else, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.